to open your Bibles with me today to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. We're going to be beginning in the first few verses of that chapter in a few minutes. Mark, chapter 13. This week I was thinking about how, for all of us, there are places which have almost become part of who we are. There are physical spaces, be they houses or cities or churches, which matter deeply to us. Perhaps even in a way we can barely articulate, these places are ingrained in us as important and life-giving. I want you to stop and just think for a second about where some of those places might be for you. Maybe it was where you grew up and experienced early life. Or perhaps it is some place that is so full of God's presence, whenever you go there, you feel him deeply. There doesn't have to be a physical building. There are beautiful spots God has made, which could be where you go to fill your soul. There are just certain places where we are the most ourselves. Locations that have cocooned us or been a haven of deep joy or where we have been our most creative Sometimes they are full of memories of people who have loved us. When you think about the places in your life that have had great impact, where are they? Why? Why are they so important? We can become attached to places that form us, creating a bond that is hard to break. We like to go back and look, even if it has changed, or we can't quite recapture how it was. This is why parents drag their kids to see places where they were born. Or people want their friends to see their childhood haunts to be better understood. In our scripture today, we begin going through a challenging chapter in Mark's gospel where Jesus talks about various difficulties which are to come for the disciples and for us. The whole thing gets started as they are leaving the temple, ballooning into a discussion that is apocalyptic in imagery where there's warning and encouragement and prophecy and even some comfort where we begin though is in the temple which is the center of jerusalem one of the most important places in judaism and when we talk about place we can never underestimate even today how important jerusalem is what jesus is talking about today is how that place is going to be taken over though and destroyed even for, those who know, even for the, those of us who know the outcome, who read about it or have seen depictions, it's hard to consider the devastation this was for people who called Jerusalem home at that time and for whom that place was a piece of their soul. Mark 13 is a unique chapter. It does not read in linear fashion like a narrative or even an encapsulated teaching. It almost feels like a collection of warnings from Jesus during his time on earth about the future, which may have been how Mark put it together. And so because of this, we're actually going to go through it thematically for the next few weeks. Instead of taking sections like we usually do, one after the other, we're going to break it down into four different topics because I think that it will help us understand more of what Jesus is saying here. So today we're going to study the first two verses and then we're going to jump to verses uh, 14 through 20. So we'll be Mark 13, 1 and 2 and then 14 through 20. And the first topic we're going to discuss is from Jesus's dialogue about the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem, which happened at the same time in the year 70. 
So hear the word of the Lord from Mark 13, verse 1. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. But when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one on the housetop must not go down or enter the house to take anything away. The one in the field must, tur- must not turn back to get a coat. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it will not be winter. For in those days there will be suffering, such as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now, no, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he has cut short these days. Now here we see Jesus explaining what will happen in the not-so-distant future in the very place where they are standing. He highlights three truths about the idea of place, which challenge the thinking of the disciples and possibly our thinking today. So the first truth is this. People are more important than place. So let's start with the temple, the sacred space where heaven and earth met. The first temple was conceived by King David and built by his son, King Solomon. It replaced the tabernacle and was God's house, God's presence. But remember we talked about last week that as the ruler of Israel went, so did the temple. And because worship was important in the ancient world, every time Israel was conquered, one of the first things that the new king did was to put their pagan gods in the temple. The first temple was sacked and stripped a few times and then reconstructed only to have the Babylonians completely destroy it. The second temple was built, not quite as extravagant as the first, but it dominated the Jerusalem mindset and sky as a holy place for the people. And the people began to fight for it as different kings came in. In one awful scene, the ruler Antiochus wanted to make the entire region and the entire Jewish people Greek. So he put a statue of Zeus in the temple and sacrificed pigs on the altar. Very desecrating, very disrespectful. And then he made the outer courts a brothel. The people rose up and won the temple back. In Jesus' day, it was a large presence, mostly due to the Tetrarch Herod who wanted to make it grand. 500 years had passed since the second temple had been uh, made by those returning from exile. It was an old building, not quite as grand as the one Solomon had built. Herod, though, wanted to show his love for architecture. He wanted to show the people how holy he was, and so he sent, set out to make the temple an imposing sight. They didn't really trust him. So they said, okay, here's the deal. You cannot take down the old building until the new building is built and worship has to continue uninterrupted for the whole time. 
By the time of Jesus, it had been under construction for a few years and would not be finished until the year 63, leaving only a few short years until it was destroyed. Now, the actual building of the temple inside was rather small. It could fit inside the infield of a baseball stadium. It was the structure around it, the porticos and the columns and the staircases and the plaza that were built on a large scale. Some of the stones, one stone, could be 40 feet long by 12 feet high by 18 feet wide. We know from Josephus, a Jewish historian at the time, that the temple was covered with plates of gold. So at the first rising of the sun, it reflected back a fiery splendor and made those who looked at it turn away, just like they would turn away from the sun itself. From a distance, the temple appeared to strangers as a mountain covered with snow, because the parts that were not gold were blazing white. So it was a magnificent place, an astounding feat for the time that it was made. So it's not surprising then that the disciples would be impressed. As they are coming out, one of them says, look, teacher at all these stones and buildings. Now let's remember, this is exactly the response that Herod wanted, a massive structure to show his greatness. And Jesus basically says, well, you know, don't get too excited because it's all going to be gone soon. I think this must have sounded strange to them, since the magnificence all around them would have showed how unlikely his prediction would have been. Let's also remember that last week we discussed Jesus calling them over to point something out to them that he thought was an amazing sight to see, which was the woman offering her coins in offering. Look, he says, did you see that? She gave all she had. And it makes us remember that we often gaze in awe at amazing engineering and architecture that humans have made. And this is right and good because we are made in the image of God to create and to make beautiful things. And I'm sure the Lord loved the creativity and the ingenuity. But he's not impressed with grand edifices as much as he is the heart of a person who truly loves him. The heart of a person who wants to give him all they have. So Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? To him, to when he says, do you see, it means look at perception at these buildings. Jesus invites them to look past the grandeur. Because as he has been showing, as he has been teaching, it has been made evident that so much of the soul of the place is empty. What the disciples can't see is how those who are in power at the temple are soon going to be using all of their influence to kill Jesus and to go after them as well. And Jesus tells them, no stone is going to be left. All is going to be laid waste. This, this week, I kept thinking about these words. There's so much symbolism here that we don't have time to delve into. But let's remember how Jesus was not accepted by the Jewish hierarchy which leads us to remember Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected will become the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation on which the church is built, the place for all who believe, both Jew and Gentile, who come together by putting their faith in him. Jesus is prophesying. He is telling the truth about the end of the temple because he is going to be a new way possible to worship God. 
And in his desire, he puts people first and invites all to come and be part of his life. The second truth we see is this. Places ultimately cannot protect us. It would be very difficult for us if the place we always trusted to be there, perhaps the place that we loved the most, was suddenly gone. We think about victims of war and fire, changing neighborhoods, terrorist attacks, mudslides, or the loss of necessary income to keep a place we love. The level of mourning for a place which has held one's heart and life's memories cannot be overestimated. Jerusalem finally fell in the year 70 to Titus's army as he was becoming the emperor of Rome. It was Passover, so the city was crowded, and many more people came into the city for refuge. So Titus refused to let anyone leave until he starved the city into subjection. And the horror of that time are some of the worst in history. And just as there's an attack on the outside, there was infighting in the city itself. One historian said that Jerusalem was torn from within and without. Josephus tells awful things that happen. When you read his, his words, you read about how the famine devoured whole families and neighborhoods and houses. That there were rooms of people dying. That the lanes of the city were full of dead people. That there were young people wandering around the marketplaces like shadows, swelled with famine, who would just fall down dead when misery overtook them. The sick could not help. Those who had been healthy died too soon, trying to keep everything together. He says, there was no lamentation made under these calamities. The famine confounded all natural passions. A deep silence and a kind of deadly night had seized upon the city. Jesus tells the disciples, when you see the desolating sacrilege, you might know these words as the desolation that causes abomination, you should leave. This comes from the book of Daniel. And and Jesus is telling them, when you see that someone is going to come and overtake, when you see that worship in the temple is starting to be replaced uh, by other things other than God himself, you should leave. And notice he doesn't say, go to the temple for refuge. No, go to the mountains. Get out of the city. They should go because the end is near, but also because persecution is going to be great if they don't worship the pagan gods. Now, because the temple was such a massive place and Jerusalem was the place of God's presence, it makes sense that people would go there. But as we know, however much we want them to, places can't always protect us. So what do we do when the place that we look to for constancy is no longer safe? What do we do when it's not even there anymore? We have deep compassion for those who suffered in these circumstances and for all those who experience great loss of place, no matter who they are, where they're from, what people group they belong to. It's painful for us to acknowledge that Jesus just tells them to escape. He's not going to stop the onslaught. He's not going to intervene. He's not going to save Jerusalem or the temple. Sometimes he doesn't save the places we love. But these words are an assurance that these that he's talking to will survive. That he's offering his life to those whose life physically have been made laid waste. 
So let us not look to places to be a stronghold in our lives forever. Even the most fortified cities are temporary. This leads us to our last truth of Jesus today. Even when a place is lost, the Lord is merciful. It's interesting to me that Jesus is not upset about the loss of the temple or the city, but he is concerned about those who might be affected by the loss. See what he is doing here in these verses. He is warning the disciples and telling them to leave. He is pointing out who is going to be the most vulnerable. So when the time comes, the disciples will notice. They will pay attention. They will have systems or something in place to help those in need. He is telling them to pray. Don't forget to pray. And he is telling them that the Lord will cut the suffering short. Now, there are many places in the Old Testament where we read predictions of devastation to come. But here is the Lord God himself prophesying a great level of suffering and telling them to run from evil. This might seem like common sense, but how often have we seen people do the opposite of running from evil? How often have we flirted with bad ideas that we knew were not wise? How often have we seen a temptation that we knew we should absolutely stay away from but did not? Sometimes like moth to a flame, we go straight toward what it is that we should not go toward. Now in my pastoral care, I have had instances where people were wondering, ah, should I stay in this toxic work environment? Should I stay in this dying marriage? Should I stay in this situation where I know it's going to end badly? Pastor, tell me, what should I do? In all of these circumstances, and in the circumstances where I myself have known that something was not going to end well in my life, while I can give counsel, we always stop. We pray for the Lord to lead because the Lord will tell you what to do. That's One of the points of being connected to him, that he absolutely is going to give you counsel and tell you what to do. There are times that God says, go, leave now. Do not wait. Do not grab your coat. Do not grab anything for your house. Just leave. And there's almost a feeling here like Lot's family in the Old Testament. God sent angels to warn those who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah that he was going to destroy the city and that they had to leave that minute or they were going to be destroyed along with it. They left and God said, don't look back. But what did Lot's wife do? She looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And remember, Lot's wife has become a reminder that we should not look back on bad situations that God has led us out of. How paralyzing it is, what a metaphor that is. How paralyzing it is for us to look back, to stand there and constantly look back and wonder, how could I have done this differently? What should I have done instead? How come that person doesn't love me? I wish I could go back to that place. And the Lord says, do not look back. Look forward. Let's go. We are out of here. There's no life there. Earlier in Mark, we read these words. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world if they forfeit their life? When the soul is on the line, Jesus is saying, nothing else matters. 
Jesus warns his followers. And tradition says that most of the Christians were already gone from Jerusalem when, when this happened because of persecution. And that others fled the city to a nearby town. And we know that believers don't always escape. We know that. Nor does God always lead them to do so. There is suffering that happens as part of living in this world, and there is suffering that comes when we follow Jesus. And just as he did not have the cup taken from him, neither will we always have it taken from us. But whatever happens, God's mercy is available to us all of our days. The temple was a great meeting place of the Israelites, where heaven and earth connected, where they believed that they could go and the presence of God would heal them and forgive them, would give them purpose and direction. It was the place where people could sacrifice and find atonement for their sin. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's going to be gone now. But because of the cross, Jesus becomes the new place of meeting between God and people. He is now the place where we go to seek forgiveness and presence and justice and warning and wisdom as grace. Jesus used his body as a metaphor for the temple. And he said, you can destroy this, but in three days it's going to rise up. Jesus' body was crucified and resurrected through God's power. When the temple was destroyed, no one built it again. Even to this day, God is not bound by four walls in any place. So may we always look to him to be our place. So let us spend time before the Lord this morning, seeking him in the temple of our hearts where he dwells. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.